0: This retreat, um, being an occasion of dhamma, actually presents by its structure some of the qualities and the ways in which we uh, act in terms of dhamma. It's it's collective, it's mutual. It's about us coming together. It's about there being a place for everyone who can, you know, fit within the range. And. Uh, and it's it's sort of sense in which there's requests and responses. Dhamma is requested. There's a response. Uh, may not exactly be what you want, <laughs> uh, but there's a request and a response. There's questions and the responses. I will I don't say we have answers. We have responses. <laughs> this is the way of Dhamma. The answers always arise within oneself. Mm-hmm. Within one's own chitta, the sense is what we're doing in one way is we're enacting the kind of mutuality or the dialogue with which your chitta awakens. That is, you present something, let's you, you present something, like that Listen to it, how's mm-hmm. that? Take that in, and then mm. realization. Realization can't be taught, it can be. Um, induced or supported um, by having a, a kind of a situation where one was asked to be authentic in oneself, uh, open in oneself, stable in oneself, stable in one's presence, authentic in one's presence, open, listening, attentive, and just seeing what begins to get activated, uh, where karma arises, where things become light or open knowing the signs of the unrestricted state or the movement out of restrictions, out of the compacted flooded, overwhelmed, disoriented condition. Mm. So we have a situation here whereby it's all done through mutual efforts, sort of amount of networking, mutual efforts, everybody contributing what they can and uh, hope this is conducive to each and every one of us, really feeling we contribute as fully as we can to to this occasion. Mm. And that's, again, the measure of that is individual. Mm -hmm. Mm. So what I'd like to talk about or mention today is this way, this sense of what is within your range. it's important to know what's within your range what's within your reach um, what's accessible mm, where and how to find the place where your potentials can properly unfold without you know uh, getting tangled um, and overreaching mm. Mm. it's very important this is which translated as knowing in oneself, it doesn't mean knowing. <laughs> it means knowing in your citta, really knowing directly in your citta. This feels about right. Uh, this is where I'm getting kind of because like, I can know the sense of the aspiration is clear. Yeah, the, the intention is clear. Yeah, uh, the efforts are they're not they're not. Um, they going one direction. I'm not distracting myself. Uh, therefore, this is within. This is this is the right place. And I you need know, to to really bring that quality of proper present awareness onto the restrictions, the obstructions that uh, may arise. We may be affected by. So once again, say it very simply. Finding your stable, open presence. Mm. Yeah. Finding that, the here the openness, the presence. Settling, safe, um. mm. voluntary, mm. not deluded. Uh. Not a matter of just even uh, and getting beyond the, the kind of wishes and the ideologies into something direct accessible where you do feel yeah i'm in balance and lingering that building it up lingering in that and um, so this, uh, this is the process uh, the Buddha said to his monks Jayati absorb into this and here's roots of trees here are empty places you know you're not being distracted you don't have much to do absorb into your steady stable place and keep working on it and this is the way in which we um, begin to cl- clear the floods and of course with this expression the Buddha he's saying one of those floods is just the flood of busyness and uh, impact it's too much to do um, you know, too much going on you're not able to maintain stability because you're constantly processing data all the time with a sense of particularly with a sense of got to get this done got to get this figured you know and this this inner compulsion is not provided by the sense data but it's provided by the kind of karmic um, condition uh, one arises within what i mean is the psychologies the attitudes of one's upbringing, it could be parental, social. And so we see at this time, particularly, there's a huge amount of pressure to perform, to get good results, to um, continually progress. And progress is marked in terms of years, okay? You're in grade one, you're in year one, you're in year two, you've made the A grade, the B grade, they're all abstract. You don't get, you know, grades on you've been a decent human being (laughs) you know you've refrained from stealing killing lying you get grades on you know your ability to process you know abstract information right called knowledge you're a smart person because you can handle concepts and symbols and the quicker you can do that then that's the better it goes so there's this tremendous push both into abstraction yeah. and into uh, speed, faster and more more complex gets you more kudos. You get to be up the social ladder. That's called a successful person. And uh, we don't get you know good results for being embodied, you know, or being able to relax or release. You get good marks, good results for being disembodied. <laughs> and 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 uh, pressurised. Right. This is, let's say, then one having been given those kinds of uh, of um, uh, targets and uh, models, yeah. then one subscribes to it. We go into the target. And, and the full speed ahead because we want to make a living, we want to get on, it becomes pretty much, um, that's the game, that's the game, mm-hmm. nobody wins, <laughs> you know, it looks like people are winning, if you don't know what's happening inside them, you know, when they're stressed out and unbalanced and to take medication and, you know, having all kinds of dysfunctional relationships and. You know, self-harm and abusing others uh, you know. so <laughs> it looks like it's successful from the outside from the ways in which we measure people measure things another way peace of mind contentment is spaciousness compassion uh, no, not, nobody gets very good grades you know, on that particular model the model that we are modeled into is the model of the flood you know, up and running, <laughs> up and running, upwardly mobile. You know, and so this this is the business model. And because you uh, know, societies now work and business are definitions. You know, I, you know, I'm a psychologist. I'm a teacher. I'm a construction worker. I'm a nurse. You know, that's what I am. My life rotates around that. Mm -hmm. I spend many hours a day doing that. I studied for it. Uh, I'm called that. People relate to me as that. Um, So I am shaped by my work, my business. And my work is shaped by the model of onwards, forwards, progress, success, faster. Yeah, you know. I mean, you're in it. You're aware of this. Mm. So, the mind being shaped in that particular way, it goes into that particular shape, right? So, you know, you don't have two different minds, you know, the jitter goes into that particular mode, so that's where it goes all the time. So even when we come to meditations, we don't think it. Well, maybe we do think it, but whether you think it or not, the general sense is progress quicker, uh, get the results, get the answers, get things sorted out. Um, you know, um, get to the good point. You know, f- five of these, the four of those, the young tradition There we go. And the way to do that is put the pressure on and get disembodied mm. i mean they don't call it that but we're often looking for special states out, you know people are looking for special states out there and body's just something you discard and you know uh, you want to get out mm. people want to get out because certainly body body experience is pretty confusing um Mm. and naturally we have powerful models you know the buddhas and arahants these luminous beings so you know well i want to be like that get like that Uh, and just sense of when does aspiration become you know overreach and so with the overreach and the aspiration the overreach we get this quality that people mention the inner critic the inner tyrant you know there's something wrong with you not doing good enough you should try harder and in various voices you shouldn't have this mind state you should have that mind state you shouldn't have this feeling you should have that feeling you shouldn't have this kind of energy you should have that kind of energy that kind of energy is wrong yeah. why don't you have more of this? This uh, critic, continual critic. And This critic is a kind of like almost like a what do they call it, mm. a meme or a genome or something. It's almost like something's injected in the social model. So so eventually we don't need other people to drive us. We drive ourselves. We've got these things been injected. This particular virus of the pushing. Has been, has been established in the citta yeah. and of course it pushes but it, the push always pushes you into the flood and if you're aiming to get out of the flood you can't get out of the flood by pushing into it <laughs> yeah. so certainly effort is needed but the effort to find balance, and the effort to put aside defective programming, deluded programming, sickly programming—one is a kind of acquired through the world competition. And the energy one acquires through worldly activities, which is generally quite compacted. If you want to do something, you really tighten up, get on with it. You know, compacted state, willful, compacted state. It's compacted, disembodied. And this is actually, in Buddhist cosmology, this is the realm of the hungry ghosts. So if you're familiar with any idea of Buddhist cosmology, or maybe you don't even want to know about it or dismiss it, but uh, it's a range from the most kind of lost beings who are deeply stuck in negative, afflictive states. These are the hell realms. And you get this realm which is just slightly above that, which is the hungry ghost realm. Very driven, constantly driven, insatiable. And it's a ghost realm. Nobody's in their bodies. They're just, you know, disembodied states rushing around. they going faster and getting more intense. That's the hungry ghosts. They get, they're very intense and they go fast and they're disembodied and you look around and think I mean, it looks like downtown to me <laughs> you know, going to a railway station in London it's, wow you know uh, now, of course, these, these realms are impermanent, so you don't have to be them all the time, but we can go into these hungry ghost states you know, uh, and the, the sense of it, the measure of it, you feel compacted driven, but also disembodied, it's a miserable state, mm, insatiable. You have all material, reasonable material comforts, and yet there's still a feeling of, you know, just, I can't, I feel restless and hungry. Animal realm, also less compacted, they're less driven and hungry ghosts these they're embodied but they don't animals don't aspire the human realm it, it starts to lift they get this lightness of heart lifting and then you as it cosmology proceeds you get devas are really you know kind of light lighter and lighter mm. But the particular feature of the human realm is the Buddha feels this is the best place for liberation because you have this light, potentially light, rising citta which you associate with aspiration. But also you have embodiment. And embodiment means you're getting something that's going to teach you. You can't just spin off. Because the problem with the cosmology is that these devas, heavenly beings, and brahmas and so forth, they can just spin out into these abstracted states. Fortunate, but they don't get down to the nitty gritty of liberation. They're still just goofing around. You know, I don't wouldn't say the brahmas goof around, but they, they, you know, they're just out there, and they don't get off the wheel, as it were. Human beings, you've got this lifting, rising. Potentially rising, fruitful chitta, and you've got embodiment. So this is what you need to know. You need to know about limitation, restraint. You need to know about mutuality, relationship. You need to know about you know which is what this embodied condition tells you. You've got to start relating to your own body for a start. You need your energies, um, the feelings that the body has. Um, and then it will start to tell you this is no not ready yet, not right now. Take a breath. Okay, now we can move. Yeah. it's a moderator of impulse. Without the embodiment, you don't have a moderator of impulse. The impulses just take you away, um, and then. When you're taking it away, you don't have the possibility to reflect upon the impulse because you just are the impulse as it rushes out. Mm -hmm. The body acts as a moderator of that. How's that feel? Can you integrate that? Can you remain stable, open, together? Then we move. Mm -hmm. So you always bring embodiment with you. it means sometimes taking a little bit more time going against the business model like I hear what you say but just a minute just letting that settle and then can act in a unique autonomous way because you're acting in accordance with how your embodied state and your chitta, where they come together you know. now I say this because it can be the case that people um, push themselves too hard we don't really know that they're straining themselves because they're not really feeling any the messages from the body and feeling stressed or strained or losing the body Sometimes you can kind of basically go out of your body in spiritual practices. Mm. Or you can meet difficulties in your nervous system that um, you have to just pause and wait. You can't push through it. Difficulties in your mind, you just can't push through. You've just got to wait and let your resources gather. It will also be the case that we underestimate ourselves. We believe now thinking mind, going, well, I don't know if I can really do this. It sounds a bit tough to me. And maybe, maybe, maybe tomorrow I'm not certain because I'm only one of these and I did Just wait a minute. Just going to your body and let your aspiration be felt. When I say the body, I don't mean the tissues. I mean the embodied gut knowledge. Put it that way. Yeah, I can. You know, I can. Mm. So, we're not who we think we are. Chitta is not who you think you are. And sometimes I notice myself, you know, I'm sitting and I'm feeling really, pretty tired Been a difficult day, a hard day. And then I think, oh, enough, enough. I look at the clock. Mm, maybe, yeah, it's about time. No, wait a minute. Stop. You're not a clock. You just don't want to be with unpleasant feeling. Right? But, wait a minute, you can be with unpleasant feeling. it doesn't feel good or clear, feeling tired, but I can be with that. What happens if I just remember that? I don't have to feel good. I'm not trying to make myself bad. I'm not deliberately mortifying myself. I don't have to feel positive and wonderful. If I... I just have to be present. Can I do that? Present with uncomfortable feeling. Present with energies that seem dull, flat, dreary. Yes, I can. Just have to give up the expectation that I should feel something that I'm not feeling. You start to establish an autonomy from the conditioned, flooded state. From the results of the day. From the particular moods or circumstances of health or energy that are occurring for you establishing autonomy it doesn't mean you're desperately trying to feel good I should, you know, push pull out of this and feel great no, no, it's not that but I'm just maintaining presence with that, difficult, uncomfortable feeling and it's making me more patient open, equanimous actually it's, it's really okay I don't like it, but it's it's okay, and that autonomy is really very precious. I'm actually more genuinely authentic when I'm aut- autonomous, that is, not bonded to circumstances and conditions and energies and feelings. When well, I'm not bonded to those. Not taking my lead constantly from those, but taking my lead from stable, open presence. Stable, open presence is, yeah, this is this, you can be with that. I'm not pushing, I'm not struggling, I'm actually just relinquishing my wish for. Pleasure, <laughs> or success, or wonderful states—I can do that. Then there's no—you see—the beauty of that is you're beginning to undermine the basis on which the inner critic judges you. His critic you, are not getting in a good state. You can't practice." Yeah. So you either can't practice because you're feeling in a bad state, yeah, so you get scolded for that. You know, you're weak, feeble, yeah. Or well, it's bad karma, you must have done terrible things in your life, so you're getting these bad feelings now. So you get some criticism that way, and you think, oh, okay, maybe I'll take a rest. And the critic says, Ah, see, you're copping out again. <laughs> so either way you lose. <laughs> Either, you know, you're experiencing the negative results of the stressful state, of the business model, if you like, and therefore you're criticizing yourself for being that, but then you think, okay, I'll take a break from that, and you criticize yourself for that, because, yeah, or the critic does. The way out of the critic is no success, no failure. Just put aside success and failure. Not that easy, maybe. But if you come into your body, yeah, body doesn't know success and failure. It's the thinking mind, it's the programmed emotions, the programmed conditioned um, attitudes that know success and failure. You come into the body; the body is here, present. And if it's starting to shake, and maybe that's it's telling you enough. You're falling over, maybe it's telling you enough, give it some time. There's no success and no failure, no critic. And therefore you're not adding more karmic accumulations to what's already pretty bunged up or cluttered. Mm -hmm. The critic adds more karma, more negative impulses, to the chitta. Layers another. Do you realize the results of thinking? Can you imagine you just think whatever, and that's okay, and it just disappears. Say whatever you like, and it just disappears into nowhere. It just goes away. That's another piece of the delusion model. There's somewhere else, everything just goes away. It goes away. There's no place called away you know, negative thoughts, negative impressions, negative attitudes, they stay. <laughs> you know, they, they, the, the residues of those saturate the them. Now, I don't want to make it too grim because these can be cleaned out. But you don't want to be adding more negative stuff to the mix. So, this is the value of just maintaining that stable, open presence and feel good, feel don't, don't feel good. Mm-hmm. Not getting anywhere. Mm-hmm. Having a great day. Mm-hmm. 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 Stable, open presence. Where is this? You find in the body where it sits, stands, walks, and it's balanced in itself. Now the body doesn't want to go anywhere. It's the mind that says, "Go here, do that." Intention arises from the mind. Go here, do that. That arises from the mind. Body, you know, it it reacts. Certainly, if you, you know, stab it, it's going to want to. It's going to freeze up. But it doesn't have this constant pushing impulse. Yeah, so, so you can come into the quietness of the body standing sitting, even walking. There can be this stable inner openness. How can you be stable while you're walking? Well the limbs walk, the muscles move, yeah, the anatomy shifts around. Within all that, there's a quiet, organizing balance. If there wasn't that, you'd fall over. The body works by having a stable inner core. It's there and it's okay from there without losing balance, move that arm. So you don't, yeah, (laughs) without losing balance, move that leg. And so the body, there's always this inner core that coordinates movement. And when we do some walking meditation, you can. Experiment with that, practice that, realise that. Even though you're walking, something is stable. Very important meditation practice, walking meditation. Standing, you're standing, you don't feel strong, your legs feel uncomfortable, Um, energies are washing over you, you're standing within that stable presence. Mm. And it comes particularly when we go to the entirety of the body that because the one feature that all parts of the body can relate to is this stable inner presence it's like the spine all the nerves run off of that using an anatomical metaphor analogy so if you go to the entire body as an entirety yeah, okay now what's the common reference point? present. Now if I focus on my hand, yeah the hand feels warm or tingly or it's painful or it's comfortable or it's, yeah that's a local effect. If I come into my face, the face feels, I don't know, know, whatever your face feels, sometimes twitchy or uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So you get these localised effects. But if you go into the entirety, all these localized effects are harmonized by the stable inner presence of the body. It forms harmony. And when the citta touches into that quality of harmony, oh, listen. Chitta is an absorption process. It soaks up what you give attention to you give attention to your discomfort the discomfort gets bigger you're absorbing into it you give attention to your passions they get bigger attention to your wishes and needs they get bigger give attention to your grudges and complaints they get bigger they get more intensely felt more outrageous more how dare they more why am i never give attention to your what you feel your your not good at you're an idiot you get it gets bigger get more and more intensely configured in what your attention lands on so that's what we're in human realm you can go down to hell if you absorb into hellish phenomena you go down and you don't have to wait till you die to do that you can do it in this very life absorb into depression malice grudge grievance and you're going to go down yeah you drop that, you come up again. <laughs> I mean, it's not that quick, but you can you can do that. Yeah, that can that, human chitta. It's got great range. Now we want to absorb into that which is going to give us most potential, most uh, freedom. You want that? Hmm? Now, it's not going to come through getting rid of the uncomfortable bits, which is, of course, that's another piece of the mythology of the social world. Get rid of the uncomfortable, grubby, dirty, messy, awkward, poisonous stuff. Chuck it somewhere else. Throw it away. Somebody else's problem. Throw it away. You you see, it's manifesting, isn't it? there isn't any place called away it just goes into somebody else's backyard right you see the pollution just throw it into the water it will go away poisoned river <laughs> throw it into the air it will go away poisoned air there's no such place as away hmm? so this particular get rid of the uncomfortable distasteful, ugly no, don't get rid of it you don't absorb into it, but you disengage stable presence. Uh, and then what's really needed from there? So, it's certainly. Okay you've found a good place to, be, to start and to refer to, now what kind of effort or extension is needed to clear some of these residues so you, you, know, so you can engage more fully, you can live a fruitful potential life with purpose. Hmm? You have to engage. But instead of engaging from the business model, from the driven, compacted, hurry up, get it done, faster, better, I am this, I am that attitude, you engage from the place of, of mutuality. How is this for you? How is we going to work together in this? What's comfortable? Where do we feel steady? Where is there goodwill? You do this for other people, and you do it with yourself. Okay, where do I feel... Yeah, this is, I'm not beating myself up, I'm not driving myself, I'm not driven by the inner critic trying to prove I'm better than or good enough, I don't need to prove I'm good enough. I practice for the joy of it, for the encouragement of it, because I want to do some purposeful work, not frantic, purposeless work purposeful work. That piece I can contemplate, work with, contemplate, transform. And this is the uh, uh, beauty. You know, we have uh, the monastery, we have considerable amount of land here. Uh, well, for Britain anyway, it's not Canada. Canada. <laughs> It's, like, it's probably a handkerchief in Canada when <laughs> you've got that amount of land. It's, but it's sized size about 170-180 acres, in nice forest and lake and river and grounds, you know, and then there's all this stuff happening in it. It was commercialized, so a lot of the, all the natural land was, trees were cut down and, and artificial things were grown in it for commercial purposes, so we were given it and the idea was to try to return it to nature. Of course, is another idea. We think what nature is, you know, nice tidy trees and oaks and shade. No, nature is a jumble of <laughs> stuff. It doesn't operate the way the humans want it to, you know. Yeah. But anyway, okay, we'll just start to take out some of the really you know, you can see the land is dead because they planted trees that don't belong. It's they've completely destroyed the natural balance so you've got to take that out and then you start to plant new stuff and then sometimes you just let things go and let nature do what it does and it gets untidy and it's sometimes overgrown and then gradually the trees start to sort themselves out as who's going to be the lead tree in this area Now the other trees start to grow small and don't seed and some trees start to decide you know and the other trees begin to cooperate you know, and then the creatures, the birds and so forth that like those trees will, will live in it. So you get a whole nature learning itself. Yeah. Uh, and this is a nice metaphor for rewilding, returning the chitta to a more natural state rather than these driven, compulsive states. Yeah. natural chitta. So we also have some gardens around the house and uh, mm, mm. the the person who was looking after the gardens passed away so i'm sort of supervising the gardens and i decided the best way to do weeding is to not use the word weed so you think they're all just creatures uh, rather than these are good flowers those are bad ones they're just all plants vegetation and so, therefore, we've done the weeding by not using, by getting rid of the word weed. <laughs> Saves you a lot of work. <laughs> Just redefine. And you think, well, it sort of doesn't look like a garden, but it get used to it. It's kind of, yeah, you know. And then occasionally you look at something where things have got a little bit out of hand and the balance is being lost, so you have to discipline some plants that, you know, give the others some space, you know, back off. Just give the other one some space. You're being a bit outrageous here. It's like being in a school, you know, and you look after the kids and just sit down, Johnny. Yeah, yeah, let let Emily say something now. Would you just wait a minute? And so, you know, you have that sort of attitude towards the trees and the plants. And simply, this is the way you have an attitude towards your own stuff. It's just wait on that one. A little bit compulsive impulsive, hasty, just wait on that one, sounds like a good idea, just check in with your stable place, check in with the boss, boss never says anything but the boss, once you check in with it, it doesn't fit, Mm. a good idea but it doesn't fit, (laughs) it just takes me out, It just spins me out. I'm coming from the wrong place with that. Mm. and it changes. Mm. What we can bear with, what we can be with, changes as you become your stability becomes more assured, then. Your ability to extend the citta from that, the citta becomes more deeply grounded and it can begin to extend itself. And it tends to want to do that. Normal extensions of the citta are loving-kindness, compassion, uh, celebration or appreciation and uh, equanimity. These are relational. The citta learns and moves into the relational domain because To move away, to extend from the stable center, you enter into the relational experience. Stable center does nothing to relate to, it's just there. When you move away from the stable center, which you have to in your life and in your karma, that's what karma is about, right, we're being affected by things, we have memories, we have parents, we have friends, we have enemies, we have the world around us, we're in this karmic condition and therefore the movement of the jitta begins to relate to these, but not from the place of I'm the dominator, things are gonna go my way, uh, I don't want this here. Um, they come from the place of of um, you know what's the what's the harmony here? Where everything is a, is Everything is respected for what it is, but it must fit into the whole, whole pattern. And we begin to get this experience because in our embodiment. So I'm just pushing too hard. I'm just up in my chest, in my head. No. Yes. Down. Belly, legs. Okay, this is the right pace. And you're learning this in meditation a thousand times through breathing Mm. and walking. Mm. There, to establish mindfulness around breathing is exceptionally fruitful. If you're coming from a stable place and you get more and more stable in it, you're not saying i've got to breathe this way i've got to breathe that way this is the only technique for breathing this is the special we do remember any of these and you'll get to this state after three days no that's the business model and breathing in here and now will bring brings back embodiment and the measure of it the out breath is this long now The in-breath is this long now, the pause is this long now, and so the mind bows to the body rhythm. Sometimes it's faster, sometimes it's slower, but the mind is always okay. This is the central life force, we have to live in harmony with this. and so you're learning about pacing, measure and receptivity these are very this this clears the floods because the floods are about impatience, impulsiveness and lack of receptivity Get bunged up you tune to that which is clear, receptive embodied mm, measured That energy, by itself, begins to move through the congestions. That by itself, that energy, that process by itself, moves through the tangles and the congestions. Walking away from the driven model, away from the going to that point, you know, in the social world, we walk with our eyes. Where we're going, there. Okay, there's the sign. There's the exit. There's the there's the speed limit. You know, if we're walking or driving in a car, it's always the eyes. Driving a car, you don't really need legs at all, apart from to move the pedals. And then you do the same thing when you're walking. What street's that? What's he doing? What's in the shop? What's in the stores, you know? And then getting on to where you want to go. So your eyes. Actually eyes don't walk. But they get the signal of where you want to go and that sets up a get there now. So tunnel. Look at streets, they're they're tunnels. Any street is a tunnel. Isn't it? You look down it, tunnels towards the end. So, in fact, you are in a, a tunnel. There's no, streets don't go that away. They don't widen, do they? They, narrow, they tunnel, you move you forward. They're not about lateral, they're about forward. So your mind does that. Your eyes see the street and your mind does that. Your mind does that, your body does that. <laughs> and you get so used to it that that's what walking is, because that's what you've done for days and days and days and years and years and years. So that's walking. Now, it means your head moves along and your body kind of scuttles along underneath it. So now you meditate, do walking meditation. Okay, here we go. You know, Why is your head going over? What are you doing that for? I'm just walking. Well, you don't need to do that, do you? Why don't you stay straight? so your body can feel open. Well, I'm trying to concentrate. Concentrate means close down into some, some point. Why do you do that for? The Buddha didn't tell you to do that. Because you know, there's it's, it's, it's a point I want to get to. But that's, that's not in the teaching. The point to get to is right here. It's not there. It's not not there. Either physically or psychologically, or you know, anywhere. It's here and now. So how do you get to the here and now? By stop moving away from it. So we stand in our presence. We walk in our presence. Just imagine, you know, as you're walking. If you want to retrain your body, imagine you've got a stack of dishes on your head, and you don't want to drop them. We don't get too intense about it, but just keep that the body poised, moving along in balance. Notice when you walk in balance there's a swing to it because that's the way the body walks. A light swing, as the hips, the pelvis turn, so the leg come forward. Yeah? Turning so it's more like a gentle swimming motion. That swimming motion is, is very comfortable and calming. When it's comfortable and calming, your mind settles down. When your mind settles down, we call it samadhi. That's the process. Concentration is not upon an object out there. It's about the jitta being collected and settled into this stable presence. Know the means, know your range. Let your body tell you what your range is and not just the the sense body, the anatomical body but your inner uh, intelligence your balancing intelligent body let that tell you what doesn't fit let it tell you this fits now tomorrow it might be different tomorrow it might be different In five minutes time it might be different, but that's what mindfulness is. Hold that and keep referring to what arises and this is not useful, this is irrelevant, pertinent. So you're constantly in that listening learning mode. Relational sanity rather than reaction, compulsion, fixation. Hmm. Relational sanity. (laughs) Relational sanity is definitely a a wonderful possibility. When we start relating to this, rather than naming it, claiming it, denying it, comparing it, Judging it, hmm. pushing it, giving up on it, dismissing it, relate to it. How is this? What's well, always needed? The foundation of relationship. Hmm. Stable. Relate through goodwill. Nourishing. Meta. Protecting from harmful influences, karuna, lingering, enjoying that which is supportive. equanimous, allowing the tides to pass through, allowing things to be as they are. I it.